Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to get to J.B. Hickson and talk about what lies ahead for Israel and America. And we'll get into Bible prophecy and uh, even an, an order of end times events, um, courtesy of J.B. Hickson and his ministry, Not By Works. Father in heaven, thank you for your sovereignty. We trust you in all things. And Lord, every day we, we need more wisdom, so please give us the wisdom that we need just for today. Thank you for our daily bread. Thank you for your faithfulness. We trust you, and we know, God, that you are um, in control over everything that's happening in our culture, in our country, and obviously around the world. We as believers uh, take special interest in what's happening because of Bible prophecy, and we thank you that we are not clueless as to what will come. We thank you for Jesus' words. We thank you for the words of the prophets. And we thank you, God, for the truth and that we can know it. So prepare our hearts today. Encourage those who need an extra measure of your grace and a little bit more hope and encouragement. God, bless them today. But challenge our thinking as well. We praise you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, first of all, let me bring in uh, J.B. Hicks, and I'm so blessed to have him on the podcast again, Not By Works Ministry. J.B., how are you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing great, David. If I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> Haven't heard that one in a while. Uh, hey, uh, you have nine books out, is that correct, or is there more now? Uh, let's see, ten, our tenth one came out just a two or three months ago, so yeah. Okay, so our bio is a little behind. We've got to get that up to date. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to get into some great material that you've prepared, and I've got some questions on just even what's going on now in the Middle East with the friction and with, you know, how the propaganda, the, the media seems to always blame it on Israel. And so we're going to get into that in a minute. But I do want to give an update on my book. I've been so humbled. And for you newer listeners to Stand Up For The Truth podcast, um, I've got a new book out called Canceling Christianity. Ironically, it's been canceled on Facebook. No, actually, we've tried to advertise. We are demonetized now on Facebook. We can't run ads. They have rejected ads for the book, Canceling Christianity. Um, friends have been sharing the book and, and sending it out. That's why it's been doing pretty well in its first week on Amazon.com. It's, it's, it's not me. Our publisher hasn't even started a marketing campaign, so it's only because of friends sharing the link or sharing my posts because I'm limited in my reach. I've been shadow banned on Facebook. They are now intolerant of the biblical worldview. We know that. But I want to just share with you, um, you know, some of you guys, it, it, it's almost brought me to tears in people stepping up and offering to either share my, my stuff for, to get the book out there because it's going to be very different this time. Now, one of your responses might be like, JB, I know you've been censored a lot, you know, YouTube and, and other, in fact, you're moving all of your videos. And when someone says, well, why don't you just get off YouTube? You know, but that's where all of your stuff is. So people say, why don't you just get off Facebook? In my experience, that's where most of 
my friends and people who are familiar with my ministry have heard about my books. So it's going to be very challenging this time, and with the help of friends, um, if you know a church, a ministry, or an organization that can possibly purchase a case of books and provide them, I mean, you, you purchase them and they're yours, you can do what you want, offer them for donations or give them out to people, um, that's what's been really helping get the word out, I think. So I've got an email for you if you want to contact my publisher. I'll put it in today's podcast post at standardforthetruth.com. But uh, J.B. Hickson, um, you've got some great material on the prophetic implications of all that's going on, not only in the world right now, but specifically in the Middle East. And we don't talk enough about Israel. We don't hear about Israel in the news as much unless the news is blaming them for what's happening. So can you go back uh, briefly and go back to the basics and refresh people's memories about the land? Because Israel is in the news as occupiers, right? They took over land that wasn't theirs. So can we get back to the basics before we jump into the sequential order of uh, end times events? Yeah, absolutely. So this weekend, of course, on May 15th was the 73rd anniversary of the rebirth of Israel as a nation uh, after World War II on May 15th, 1948. And, you know, I'm actually going to be giving a a message at the uh, Mid-America Prophecy Conference in Tulsa here coming up next week. And I'm going to talk about the nation of Israel in God's plan of the ages and what a central role uh, that Israel plays. But this, uh, d- this long-standing debate or conflict over the land that has heated up once again, of course, uh, looking pretty, pretty dire. I mean, it's one of the worst uh, uprisings over there between Israel and her enemies in the last you know, several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really a moot point for those who believe in the God of the Bible, because again and again and again, God's Word refers to the land as my land, uh, God's land. You know, Second uh, Chronicles 7.20, God will uproot you from my land. Isaiah 14.25, God will break Assyria in my land. Jeremiah, several times, my land, my land. Ezekiel, Joel, it's pervasive throughout the Old Testament. So, uh, contrary to what uh, secular media claims uh, that this, there's a debate, uh, this is Israel's land. It's always been Israel's land. They have the title deed to the land in God's Word. And really it goes all the way back uh, 2,000 years before Christ to an unconditional covenant that God made with uh, Abraham mm-hmm. and in which he promised him the land, even gave the specific boundaries, very detailed geographic boundaries. We know today that uh, to this day, uh, some 4,000 years Later, Israel has never fully inhabited the land that has been promised to them. Uh, They have the rights to it, and have at various times in ancient Israeli history had the rights to it. Uh, But uh, at this point, they've never occupied it to the full extent as as promised them. Uh, So, yeah, uh, for some reason, and we know why, because we understand God's uh, biblical timeline and plan, uh, that land, that little pocket of uh, over there in the Fertile Crescent, uh, hmm. uh, otherwise unassuming like land, has really been center stage for, for millennia. Now, it, conflict in Israel has, has always been a reality whenever Israel has existed as a nation. Um, every time there's a conflict, though, here's our concern as Christians. Uh, if there's a conflict in and around Israel, it's like the one we're seeing rising up now, um, a lot of people see it as a sign of the quickly approaching end times, but the problem with this 
is that we eventually tire of the conflict because it's been constant. So, uh, and then we might not recognize when true prophetically significant events occur. So we are told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But it's interesting, JB, because really they have had not had peace in Israel, have they? No, and they won't until the Prince of Peace comes back and takes the throne, as promised by the prophet Isaiah. Hmm. So one of the things we need to point out about uh, this conflict, and you're exactly right, I, I'm, I'm getting all kinds of emails and questions uh, this weekend, yesterday in church, uh, during our, we're doing a study on the end times in our 9 o'clock hour, and so obviously this is on people's minds, and I had some questions about it. People often confuse biblical prophecy with uh, a setting of the stage and with geopolitical events that could lead to the setup for the end times. And so let me clarify, if I may, um, the next great prophecy that will be fulfilled, according to Scripture, is the rapture. And it is a signless event. It is uh, completely imminent. There's nothing that has to happen before the rapture can happen. Mm. And you and I have talked before about how roughly 16% of uh, biblical prophecy has not been fulfilled and relates to the end times, the future things. And none of that has started yet. Uh, That will not kick off until the rapture. But what we do see as we look around at what's going on in the world are key events that have prophetic implications. So there's a difference between something fulfilling a prophecy and something that might have prophetic implications. Mm. And, for example, when Israel became a nation in 1948, a lot of people mistakenly uh, took certain passages of Scripture out of context, like the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, and began to say that that was the fulfillment of a prophecy and that within 40 years the Lord would come back. And so you had a lot of people predicting the rapture in 1988. And and that's just, that's unfortunate because that's not the correct way to handle God's Word. Uh, But if you were to ask me, was 1948 prophetically significant or were there prophetic implications of it? Well, absolutely, because we know according to God's Word that Israel has to be a nation. The temple has to be rebuilt in order for the Antichrist to set himself up and perform the abomination of desolation during the tribulation, uh, in order for Christ ultimately to come back. Uh, So we know that Israel has to be a nation, and if we see Israel become a nation once again, everyone, of course, should go, hmm, it could be could be getting close. And so, same thing's happening today. A lot of lot of things are moving and shaking over there. All of them should get our attention. We should certainly look up uh, and think about what could be happening uh, as we look for the blessed hope. Uh, but it's not, we can't point to a verse and say, this war over there fulfills this prophecy. Thank you. Uh, just, I'm th- glad we clarified that because it, it, it piques our interest uh, whenever things like that happen, but it's not necessarily prophetic because Israel has always had uh, what uh, some might say uh, satanically inspired hatred. I mean, this is an irrational hatred by some who really don't understand the implications of what's going on, but they still hate Israel, and a lot of people can't explain why. Um, Where would you like to go now, JB? Just as far as the timeline, the rapture is an important thing, and I like the fact that you pointed out there's no sign that needs to happen before the rapture comes because that's already been prophesied, correct? Yeah, absolutely, and and because it's imminent. The doctrine of imminency is a mm-hmm. key doctrine in Scripture, mm-hmm. and imminence just means that it could happen at any moment. So no one could ever look around the world and say, well, I know the rapture's not going to happen today because such and such hasn't happened. That would be an incorrect approach. The rapture could happen at any moment. Um, 
But I'd like to go back to Israel, just camp out there a little bit longer, if yes, I may. Because, sure. you know, um, you, you talked about how much people hate Israel. That's because there is a battle, a spiritual unseen battle going on between God and Satan. Mm-hmm. And we've talked previously about this Luciferian global elite that is co-conspiring with Satan to try to take over the world. And that piece of real estate over there is sort of center stage. Again, it is the holy land. Again and again, the Bible, God's self-revelation to mankind, refers to it as the holy Hmm. land, meaning one of a kind, set apart, none like it. And so, uh, of course, it's got uh, the attention of the world. It is uh, a key piece of real estate in three major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And it will always be uh, under attack. Uh, But we know ultimately... Christ is going to come back and in conjunction with the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the Tribulation, and he's going to take the throne, and he will rule and reign, just as the Bible promised again and again in the Old Testament, uh, from a literal temple on a literal throne in a literal uh, kingdom uh, called uh, Israel. And so um, it's exciting and somewhat terrifying to watch what's going on. Mm-hmm. And we also need to remember, and this may, I don't mean this to... Uh, you know, upset anybody that is uh, loves Israel the way we love Israel, but Israel is not in the land today in belief, and they're not perfect. That's right. And so, although they are clearly unfairly targeted, and clearly uh, in this battle, there's a bias against Israel, and the you know the the uh, Islamic militants are doing everything they can to kill the Jews. Uh, Israel often makes mistakes too, and they. Um, are not, you know, their return to the land in 1948 was not the fulfillment of prophecy. It was a setting the stage. When will Israel be returned to the land prophetically? When Jesus Christ comes back, Matthew 24, 31, and regathers them supernaturally at his second coming into the land. And that's the fulfillment of many Old Testament passages like Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, and Isaiah 27, 13. So, we need to recognize that Israel sometimes needs to be held accountable. The current leaders of Israel, who are there in unbelief, needs to be held accountable sometimes, too. Yes, thank you so much for pointing that out. When we support Israel, and we do, we are not saying Israel is a holy nation, a righteous nation. They are not God-fearing. There is a remnant there. There's uh, Orthodox Jews, but they're... They're still, you know, you know, it's a secular nation, and uh, so I'm glad you pointed that out. Very important. We can support Israel because of what the Bible teaches, not necessarily because of the fruit we're seeing in Israel today. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah, we believe in God's plan for the nation of Israel. Amen. And Jesus Himself said that they would that, that Israel, speaking to the Jewish leaders of the first century, the scribes and Pharisees and the like, He said, "You will not see Me again." until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So at his first advent, the nation of Israel uh, cried, crucify him, crucify him. Mm. And they crowned him with thorns instead of a king's crown. There was a remnant, of course, as the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 9 through 11, uh, who believed the gospel and was saved. But as a nation, they rejected the Messiah. And this, of course, was in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in and of itself. But Jesus made it plain that the next time, uh, that you know, they, individual Jews must first believe the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, as Paul says in, in Romans 10. And they cannot call on their Messiah to deliver them into the kingdom until they first believe the gospel, also from Romans 10. So the next time around it will be different. Um, after 
the outpouring of God's wrath during the seven-year tribulation and the conflict with Satan and his wrath, uh, the nation of Israel will repent and they will believe the gospel and they will receive their Messiah. Amen. And having believed the gospel, they will cry out as uh, the Davidic Psalm 118 prophesied, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they will be supernaturally uh, gathered from wherever they are in the uttermost parts of the earth into the land physically uh, to begin uh, the formal uh, Messianic kingdom. We're speaking with Pastor J.B. Hicks in uh, Plum Creek Chapel in Colorado. By the way, J.B., before we uh, continue down this this uh, uh, list here. Um, it's, it was fascinating. I was able to meet uh, a couple from your church. They were in our area uh, a couple weeks ago. It was, what a blessing! Um, and I just want to say, well loved here in Colorado. Oh my goodness, the metro area. You've got a lot of listeners, and uh, That's I, great. Was, I, I saw some pictures from that meeting. I was so delighted that they were able to connect with you. It was just, it's just so neat. And this is how God works. We are brothers and sisters. We are family wherever we are in the country, and that's what encourages me about just the body of Christ. It's not just a church, a congregation. It is we're spread out everywhere, and it was just such a blessing. You've got some great people there at your church. Um, do you want to talk about the formation of a Western alliance? The reason I ask that is because it seems like there's maybe it's not a lie an alliance right now, but it seems like there's already a coalition of uh, uh, states or um, uh, nations that are against Israel. They have been against Israel for for years and years and years. So you mentioned a formation of a Western alliance as one of these events on the timeline. Yeah, so uh, this is a really interesting thing to study. Uh, and, you know, scholars uh, take different approaches to it, so we can't be dogmatic entirely. But the real question uh, that we love to talk about is when will the Battle of Gog and Magog, as described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, take place? And as an example, uh, many of you, by the way, what's our time? Are we coming up on a break here? Yeah, about two and a half minutes. Okay, so we may need to carry over. But um, so many of you are familiar with the Left Behind series that Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins wrote. And in that series, they present the Battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, as taking place prior to the rapture. Um, however, I knew Tim LaHaye, and like many people, I had the chance to interact with him at the pre-trib research conference every year in December. Hmm. And I asked him directly, and others have confirmed this, he didn't believe that himself. That was sort of uh, Jenkins taking some literary license to, to, to create the story. Wow. Uh, but he believed, as do I and many others, that the Battle of Gog and Magog will occur after the rapture, but prior to the official commencement of the seven-year tribulation. And so that's where this Western alliance from Daniel chapter 11 comes into play. Okay. And uh, it really relates to the rise of the Antichrist to world prominence and how he's going to be able to deceive the world and take the helm of this tyrannical one-world government. So, yeah, I'd like to get into that in more detail maybe yes. on the other side. We will. And it's very necessary to do that. We hear much about Ezekiel 38, 39, the Battle of Gog and Magog. Um, and, and, yeah, we do want to talk about that Western alliance after the rapture, get the timing straight in our own minds, in our own um, uh, notes, so to speak, when we look at these things as, as far as what's coming. Um, also, maybe something to, in, to talk about that'll be interesting. It, we've got a break in, in a minute here, JB. But uh, the third temple, there's preparations right now for that temple, aren't there? Yes, there are. Yeah, I'd love to talk about okay, that. Okay, so we will do that uh, more when we come back with JB Hickson. 
And uh, we are discussing a very important topic, what lies ahead for Israel and even America as we see the friction in the Middle East and we know what Bible prophecy teaches us. We're just going to reinforce that and talk more when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, J.B. Hickson of Not By Works Ministries. And uh, J.B., before we get back into the topic, uh, you have a, a fairly new, relatively new series, Spirit of the Antichrist, on DVD. Uh, anything else we need to know about? Yeah, so uh, that, that DVD series has is, is really uh, been very popular. Uh, it's 18 videos, 10 discs, and over 14 hours <laughs> looking at wow. really the end times through the, uh, the lens of the satanic conspiracy and Satan's attempt to take over the world. Uh, but related to our topic today, we have a book called What Lies Ahead, which is an extensive, uh, I think it's 375 pages thereabouts, book on the end times, a full treatment of God, an overview of God's plan of the ages. Uh, it's got dozens of charts and study questions, and uh, I've been a really uh, good book for those who just want a, an overview of what, what does the Bible say about that 16% of prophecy. So both of those are at notbyworks.org, if you want to check that out. Not, I have it up right now in front of me here, so we will definitely link to that in the podcast notes. Um, what lies ahead? Um, so Amir Sarfati, um, he's a, a Christian a Jew, uh, lives over there uh, in Israel. He reports a lot of, about what happens in the Middle East, and of course now with Israel under fire, as they always are. But he says that um, they staged conflicts on the Temple Mount to make it look like the Israelis were the aggressors, and now they're carrying out what they want the world to believe are justified attacks on Israel. So if you missed the very beginning of our podcast when we discussed this, um, we just talked about the fact that what's always happened in Israel, Israel's history, when they're a nation, they're going to be attacked. There's going to be people and, and nations and coalitions against them. But don't believe the media's lies. So, uh, JB, we were on the Battle of Gog and Magog before we had to take a break. And that's, uh, I mean, we could do a whole hour on just that. But some of the b- points you made was this formation of an alliance against Israel. Uh, you met to mention the Western Alliance and Northern Alliance. So where do you want to pick it up? Yeah, so let me kind of walk through that. And again, this is just my best attempt to piece together the biblical uh, data. And uh, I think it's a pretty solid uh, speculation, but we, we don't know with 100% certainty uh, when the Battle of Gog and Magog will occur. But let me sketch out what I and a lot of uh, scholars feel like is likely to be the case. So, of course, the next great event is the rapture. Uh, and that is going to, of course, be when the Lord catches his church, the bride, all those who know the Lord in this present age, up to meet him in the air. Um, it's it's uh, definitely a different event from the second coming. Uh, we won't take the time to, to show you those contrasts, but the Bible makes a clear distinction between Israel and the church and God's plan for each. And the rapture is a time of rescue before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the great outpouring of God's wrath. And then once that happens, of course, on Earth, there's going to be a, a massive chaos. And I have a, a video, and uh, it's gotten tens of thousands of views on YouTube from a few years ago called the, the One Minute After the Rapture that kind of mm. outlines some of that chaos. But uh, in the midst of that chaos, uh, of course, Israel, the land of Israel, will still be you know, a coveted place and be kind of on everybody's mind in terms of this uh, conflict between 
Satan and God. And so uh, Daniel 11 describes a Western uh, group of nations that uh, come in and begin to, to uh, march that direction. They invade Egypt, Daniel 11, 40 to 43. And I believe that that Western alliance uh, is going to be headed up by the man who will become the Antichrist. Because what we see happening next is based on Ezekiel 38 and 39 is an, another alliance forms, and that's in the north with Russia and some other enemy nations, and they uh, seek to invade Israel, uh, Ezekiel 38:16. And at that time, the Western alliance protests and appears anyway to come to Israel's defense. Now, we know from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that in actuality what happens is God supernaturally protects Israel and uh, defends them in the mm. Battle of Gog and Magog. And, uh, in fact, uh, the Left Behind uh, TV or video series, movie series, actually does a very good job of describing and depicting mm. uh, what that battle looks like with planes just literally dropping out of the sky supernaturally, inexplicably. And that's because God intervenes to protect Israel from that northern aggressor. And so it's my view that uh, when Israel is rescued, the Western alliance takes credit and says, see, look what we did. We, we solved this conflict. We, we uh, protected Israel. And, and the, that propels the leader of that alliance to world notoriety and paves the way for him to sign the famous peace treaty of Daniel 9.27 that then leads to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. So, so that's how I see it unfolding of course, once he does sign the peace treaty, that starts the clock ticking on the final seven years of Daniel's 490-year plan that was clearly outlined in Daniel 9, and that's when we see uh, the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments of God poured out upon our, the earth, and we see Satan be, begin at the midpoint to persecute believers, and we see, uh, of course, a great harvest of uh, people, not just Jews who believe the gospel during the tribulation, but people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. Mm. So many that uh, you can't really even count them, according to Revelation 7. But many of those who do get saved and believe the gospel during the tribulation will be martyred. And uh, you and I were talking about Zechariah uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and how it describes basically two-thirds of Jews of dying and being mm. killed during that tribulation period. Wow. And indeed, when Christ comes back at the end of that seven years, there will be a small, only a small remnant uh, that is regathered in the land, and only a small remnant of Gentiles who were saved and, and lived through the tribulation were not martyred, to whom Jesus says, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. That's sobering when you think about it. God's people... Um, that they are not all going to make it. And um, I, I would just like to read uh, Zechariah uh, thirteen nine, the verse following uh, what you just referred to. It says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. So that's only a third not the two-thirds. So fascinating, and I know it says more about that in Revelation. But I want to go back to something you mentioned. You talked about the peace treaty, uh, J.B., and uh, could you clarify, is there any connection to when the Trump administration was working with these uh, different nations and the, the peace treaties that were signed in the previous uh, administration, does that have any connection? What significance is that with this Antichrist signing a peace treaty? 
Uh, no, there is no connection. Okay. Um, and, you know, there will always be attempts to find peace in the Middle East. But as I said earlier, until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, comes back and takes the throne, there will not be peace. Right. And there has not been peace. And you can go back all the way, you know, through the, the 73 years since Israel uh, once again received, received statehood in 1948. Uh, and every time there's a claim of peace or an accord or a peace meeting, uh, somebody dies, you know, whether it's a leader in Israel or a leader in Egypt or, you know, who knows. There's just, it's never going to accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try, not so much because of prophecy, but just because in general in this world we, we want it to be the time of peace. Nobody likes war, and Israel is an ally, speaking purely politically. And so when they're under attack, we should try to broker peace, and we should do all that we can. But um, people d- should should be clear that what we see happening in the newspapers is not the fulfillment of prophecy. It is merely setting the stage for what could be, um, the, you know, could lead to the end times and the, and the rapture and the lead and the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. And I'm, you know, some people, for some that are listening, they may think, okay, I already knew that. But this is good for a lot of people that have got so much in their minds when it comes to questions about Bible prophecy, what's really going to happen in light of what's happening now. Another question, JB, that people have are the uh, ministry of the 144,000. I mean, I've heard people take that out of context. I've heard people misrepresent and say that only 144,000 in the whole world are going to be saved, and that's not true either. Could you uh, explain what that, what's going to happen with the 144,000 uh, worldwide witnesses? Yeah, so another reason that we know that the tribulation is entirely about Israel, it has nothing to do with the church, is not only because it's called the time of Israel's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, uh, but because the witnesses, the missionaries that God supernaturally sets apart at the beginning of the seven years, are all Jewish, uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, according to Revelation chapter 7. So what we see happening is after the rapture, of course, for that moment, immediately following the rapture, there will not be a single believer on planet Earth. Every believer has been caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Mm. And Paul in Second Thessalonians 2 talks about how the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit in and through the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, is removed. So, I mean, you think it's bad now when the church is at least giving some modicum of restraint to the world. It's going to be horrific when, for a brief time, there are only unbelievers on the earth. But according to Revelation 7, God supernaturally sets apart 144,000 people, all of them Jews, who somehow believe the gospel. The Bible is silent on exactly how, but we know from comparing Scripture with Scripture that every human being is born dead in trespasses and sins, and every human being must be saved by faith. So somehow they believe the gospel, and after doing so, God seals them to protect them from harm that the Antichrist is trying to do. So they constitute the first missionary force, and they go out and spread the gospel throughout the world, and very quickly, people begin to get saved, and there's a great harvest of souls, as we talked about, uh, from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. And uh, many of those will be martyred, uh, not the 144,000, but many of their converts. And then by the end of the seven years, uh, there will be a you know, contingent of believers alive on the earth to greet the Lord when he comes back to set up his kingdom. 
uh, and they will be both Jews and Gentiles from every nation. Wow. There, this is so involved and so detailed in, in Scripture, in the pages of Scripture, the Old Testament prophets and uh, some of what Jesus said, and of course, Revelation. Um, we are more than halfway through today's podcast, JB, and there's a lot to cover, but I know there's, I mean, you've got 33 bullet points on uh, this, this special order of end times events. Where would you like to go next? Yeah, let me just mention uh, that at the as an appendix to the book What Lies Ahead, one of the appendices there is a uh, document that we call the Sequential Order of End Times Events, where I just sort of pull out some of the big picture items. You know, 16% of Bible prophecy is yet to be fulfilled, so we can't list every single item, but we do list uh, some 30-odd uh, events in order, uh, in the order in which they will happen. And so, you know, the tribulation period, a lot of people get confused about the book of Revelation, and they say, oh, it's too complicated, and nobody understands it, and so forth. That's uh, really sad that they would say that, because the book of Revelation is actually one of the easiest books in the Bible to outline. It's very clear, and the vast majority of Revelation, chapters 6 to 18, deal with that seven-year period that we've been talking about, the great day of the Lord's wrath, the 70th week of Daniel. And um, and so, yeah, Revelation is pretty pretty central to, obviously, the end times. When people think about the end times, they, they think first of Revelation. But keep in mind, it primarily deals with the tribulation. Mm. Um, and then, uh, you know, we get most of our eschatology from Old Testament passages, from Paul's teaching, uh, from... Uh, Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives. Jesus, of course, had a lot to say during his three-and-a-half-year ministry about his coming kingdom and his earthly kingdom. He talked about who would sit where, who would be the greatest, uh, what the disciples would get, that they would reign on 12 thrones with him. Uh, But the Olivet Discourse, which was given on Wednesday night, the night before he was betrayed in the garden, just before he went to the cross, is probably the most comprehensive blow-by-blow overview Mm -hmm of the end times found anywhere in Scripture in one single uh, in one single place. And that's Matthew 24 and Mark 13 primarily? Yeah, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. Luke 21. I keep forgetting Luke when I think about those chapters. Um, okay, let's go to... I'm um, looking at the... just the, so many different um, bullet points here. One there, thing that might be good to clarify uh, is... The, speaking of Jesus' teaching, is the days of Noah, because you, you get a lot of people that are bringing that up today, and I think they've misunderstood yes. uh, Jesus' teaching there. Good point. Uh, so the day, Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, basically gives a series of signs and things that will happen during the Tribulation, indicating that his return is near. Remember, he, the whole Olivet Discourse is his answer to the question that the disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming? When is when is the kingdom going to be inaugurated? And so he he spends you know the first uh, thirty one verses of chapter twenty four telling them what to look for during the tribulation, and then uh, after that the whole rest of the Olivet discourse is basically application. It's like in light of these signs that you are to look for, you need to be ready. And he makes the statement as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be you know at the coming of uh, at my coming. And so. Uh, people have really taken that and run with it, uh, but they really misunderstand uh, the plain context there because we don't have to wonder in what way Noah serves as an analogy of the future tribulation period. Jesus actually goes on uh, to tell us. 
And he says, you know, for as in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and going about their normal routine, and then judgment caught them off guard, so shall it be at, at my return. And that's the extent of the analogy. Uh, we, it's a mistake to go back and, you know, try to look at everything that was going on in Noah's day and say that we're going to see a return uh, to all of that, because that's not uh, what Jesus was saying. He said, just as in Noah's day, people were uh, warned of a coming judgment, and they ignored it, and the flood swept them all away. In the same way during the tribulation, people are going to be warned that Christ's return is coming to judge the world, and some are going to ignore it, and they're going to be swept away in judgment. And so um, we talked about that yesterday in my What Lies Ahead uh, message, so I won't take the time to go into a whole lot of detail. People can kind of look that up, but um, we, we need to, you know, use biblical phrases the way the Bible uses them and not expand them beyond their context. Um, and then, again, thank you for bringing that point up as well. So the, the main key understanding from that, the days of Noah, is the fact that a lot of people will not repent and they, there will be judgment. They won't be ready for it. Is that a, a clarification? Is that good to yeah, sum that up? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, they won't, they'll be caught off guard. That's mm-hmm. why Jesus says again and again, be ready, be ready. No one knows the day or the hour. Watch out. Be not deceived. That's yep. the whole point of the, the, the Olivet Discourse. Okay, we're almost ready to take another break, JB. Actually, I hear the music, so that's my cue. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, Jesus said when they asked him what will be the sign of the times, the end times, and the first thing out of his mouth was do not be deceived. Let not, uh, well, don't be deceived. Don't fall for it. A lot of deception out there. That's why we're going through end times prophecies relating to Israel. More with J.B. Hickson when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is J.B. Hickson, Not By Works Ministries, and uh, we are going through just some events on the timeline of the end times as we look at Israel and try to focus on Israel. Um, there's a much more extensive sequential order of end times events J.B. has available in What Lies Ahead, and that's a book we will link to uh, but you can get it at notbyworks. Is it .org, JB? Yep, notbyworks.org. Notbyworks.org. Okay, where were we? We were um, talking about the days of Noah. Where do you want to pick it up? Yeah, so we, we kind of made our way into the Olivet Discourse, and we can uh, we can kind of pick up from there. Sure. You know, a lot of people misunderstand the Olivet Discourse, and they assume that it's talking about the rapture. Uh, and we need to make it clear that the, the rapture was a mystery, never revealed anywhere uh, in, in from our Lord Jesus when, during his time on earth or in Scripture until after the Olivet Discourse had already been given. In fact, as I mentioned, the Olivet Discourse, that sermon that Jesus gave from atop the Mount of Olives, was given on Wednesday of Passion Week, and then it was not until Thursday, the next day, in the Upper Room Discourse that Jesus, for the first time ever, unveils and hints at this idea of the rapture when he tells the disciples, that he will go and prepare a place for them, and if he does, he will come back that where he is, they may be also. That's a reference to the rapture. So the rapture is not in the Olivet Discourse. Um, it's all about Israel. It's answering the question about Jesus' second coming and when he will come to establish his kingdom. The church did not exist yet. The church was not born until 10 days after the ascension um, in May. This was in April that we're or March that we're talking about at this moment. So... <clears throat> the end of March. 
So the Olivet Discourse, uh, we, we were talking about the days of Noah, and that's where people often see the rapture. Because let me read what the text says, and then you'll see why people's minds immediately go to the rapture. Reading from Matthew's account in Matthew 24:36, he says, But of that day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then, of course, he goes on to give those two famous statements in the very next two verses. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Well, those two verses sure sound like the rapture, don't they? Yes. And, uh, and Larry Norman, the great 1970s-era Christian songwriter, made a song about it, based on about the rapture based on that. But that's not talking about the rapture. And we know that plainly from the analogy, because in Noah's day, when the flood came, who was taken away? It was the unrighteous who were swept away and taken off the earth. Who was left behind? It was the righteous, hmm. Noah's eight family members. And even if we didn't make that connection, which seems plain enough, if you look at a comparison with Jesus using the same exact analogy in Luke 17, he says in Luke 17, uh, as in the days of Noah, it's almost verbatim from Matthew 24. Hmm. Uh, they ate, they drank, they married. He says the flood came and destroyed them all. So the ones taken away were not rescued at the rapture. They were destroyed by judgment. Hmm. And that's Jesus' whole point, is be ready, because uh, you know you wanted to know when I'm coming. Well, when you see all of these signs, like the abomination of desolation and cosmic signs and earthquakes and lightning and deception, when you see all of that many false Christs, then you know that my return is near, but be ready, because uh, when I come back, and he describes this later on in the Olivet Discourse, there are going to be two groups of people. Some will be taken away to the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Some will be left behind, and I will say to them, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. And what Jesus said and says is true. And uh, I can go to Luke um, 21, where it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I just want to read a couple verses that follow that. After he shared all this, again in uh, Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, in verse 34 it says, But now he's talking to his disciples and his followers, but be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life because we can get anxious and worried about things when we start hearing these things happen, and that this day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of all the earth, but stay alert at all times, praying that you will have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Would you please elaborate on those thoughts, J.B.? Yeah, absolutely. We we do need to uh, remember that for believers in the present church age, the rapture is a rescue. It's mm. a blessed hope, something to look forward to. Yes. And it's he's going to rescue us before the outpouring of his prophetic wrath. Of course, that does not mean that Christians won't have to suffer or have to uh, face horrific persecution. For 2,000 years, Christians have been, pers- been persecuted. And we in America may likewise face a similar plight if the Lord tarries his coming. But what it does promise is that 
when this cosmic struggle between Satan and God reaches its climax during that final seven years, the church won't be here. And we will be enjoying the presence of the Lord in heaven with the uh, marriage of the Lamb and the Bema judgment. And then we will return with Christ when he comes back to set up his kingdom in Revelation 19. And we will rule and reign with him in that perfect peace and justice time when the governments will be upon his shoulder, as Isaiah 9 tells us. And, you know, it all kind of comes full circle what we started out talking about on the program with uh, the nation of Israel. Yes. And Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant when God promised, you know, Israel land and seed and blessing, spiritual blessing. And then he reiterated that through three more unconditional covenants, some I will statements, you know, the land covenant in Deuteronomy 30, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, of course, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. And all of those covenants guarantee as a title deed to the land Israel's uh, kingdom which will be a global kingdom, and we will all participate. And, uh, and, and what a day that will be when Christ comes back to make all things new. The millennial reign of Christ over the earthly kingdom in Revelation 21 through 6. Um, we won't, don't have time to get into the final battle between Satan and God called Gog and Magog. And, and you point out that it's not the same as Ezekiel 38, 39. But we, we kind of skipped over the marriage supper of the Lamb and I think there's some confusion, uh, maybe, about what, what that entails, what that is about. Uh, could you please explain that, J.B.? Yeah, so that's a special blessing just for the Church, which the New, the New Testament reveals. Remember, the Old Testament never mentions the Church. It was a mystery that Paul unveiled through the Holy Spirit in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. A mystery in Scripture means something previously unrevealed. So this was new revelation, and part of the blessing of the Church is that we will have this... Uh, union with Christ someday, and it'll be a spiritual union in heaven, and then we come back with him, and the first event that kicks off the millennial phase of the kingdom is the marriage supper, this great banquet that Jesus alluded to very early on in his ministry in Matthew 8 when he talked about how people will come from the east and the west and sit down at the banqueting table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it'll be kind of a glorious kickoff party to the the kingdom age. And Mm. You know, my colleague and your friend, uh, Dr. Andy Woods, has done a fantastic job of uh, completely debunking the notion that the kingdom is now, that we're living in the kingdom. Yes. It's his great book, The Coming Kingdom, mm-hmm. and I highly recommend that. Um, uh, it, it, there's no sense in which what we are experiencing today even remotely resembles the description of the kingdom when the King of Kings is on the throne someday. Amen. I, I, I don't know how people go down that line of uh, thinking or the, theology, but because uh, it seems obvious maybe to you, to I, of course, uh, to uh, Andy Woods and, and others. But wow, to think that it's here now. Um, why, it's just it's just astounding to me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they, the, the, it's, a, it's inconsistent in how they handle Scripture, because yes. these same folks that preach kingdom now theology, they admit that the Old Testament prophecies related to Christ's first advent were clearly literal. You know, he literally was born of a virgin. He was literally born in Bethlehem and so forth and so on. But for some reason, when they look at the prophecies related to his second coming, uh, and there are many, uh, but let's say Ezekiel 40 to 48, where it describes for nine chapters in, in painstaking, beautiful detail, the construction of the temple that Christ is going to reign in. 
they just toss that aside like it's one big metaphor, hmm. and they change their hermeneutic and don't take it literally. And there's no justification for that. Uh, the first advent of Christ was fulfilled literally, and so will the second advent uh, be. That's how they do it. Metaphor. Yeah, all <laughs> that's, spiritual. Yeah. yeah, that's how they do it. Um, JB, we've got about three and a half minutes left, I believe. Um, what, where do you want to go as, as far as you know? we're talking about uh, following the marriage supper of the Lamb, the millennial reign of Christ, and then, of course, the, the binding of Satan? We, we like to hear the destruction and uh, Satan's future. We like to hear about that because it kind of gives us something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, so if, real quickly, um, obviously at the second coming, Satan himself uh, is going to be bound up in prison for the next 1,000 years. The Antichrist and false prophet, uh, who were his minions on earth leading his, you know, his part of the battle, they're cast into the uh, everlasting fire at that point, uh, the lake of fire, actually. But Satan himself is bound up in prison. It doesn't mean he's completely banished or has no influence. There will still be a measure of evil on the earth during the thousand years. It'll just be kept in more in check. Christ will rule in perfect justice. There will be no injustices or inequities. But, but over time, as people have children, there will be another uh, contingent of unbelievers, and not all of them will be saved. And So by the end of the thousand years, you will have quite a few unbelievers on earth in their physical bodies. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose for one final battle. It's also called the Battle of Gog and Magog. Not the same Battle of Gog and Magog that Ezekiel talks about, but the same characters involved. Hmm. And at the end of that uh, uh, millennial period, the end of that thousand years, that battle takes place. Satan is destroyed. And then at that moment, he is finally once and forever cast into the lake of fire where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are. That's very important because they were cast there a thousand years earlier, and if a thousand years later they're still there, that proves that, you know, there's no such thing as annihilationism. You know, these were human beings that were cast into the lake of fire, and a thousand years later they're still there. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, as will be Satan. And sadly, as will be all those who have not received the free gift of eternal life. And uh, that's a great place to end, is to yes. remind people that nobody has to face the wrath of God. Uh, Christ has paid the penalty. He took our place on the cross. He paid our penalty, and he offers freely to all the gift of forgiveness and eternal life if we simply trust him for it. Amen. And you've been uh, referring to Revelation chapter 20, where a lot of this is uh, found. Um, and we will not be part of that great white throne judgment. Believers are not going to be judged. Um, you know, we will, there's, you know, works and rewards and things like that uh, for believers in heaven, but we will not be judged with unbelievers, and that's the one that we need to caution people to, to fear God and to not want to be before the great white throne. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus made it very clear in John 5, 24, that if you believe in him, you will never come into judgment, mm. but have passed from death to life. And Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation. So Amen. believers have already, their punishment's already been paid for by the blood of Christ, uh, and we will never face uh, the great white throne judgment because our righteousness was given to us by faith when we trusted in Christ. But those who are hoping to enter heaven based on their own works or their own merit, and they've rejected the free gift of eternal life paid for by the blood of Christ, they're going to be left uh, experiencing that terrifying moment when, uh, when, when, when they have to try to get into heaven on their own works, and it won't work. 
I know a lot of this is hard to understand for people because Bible prophecy, you know, some of it is. But uh, nonetheless, it, it is true. And Jesus' word is truth. It comes back to the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible, doesn't it? Amen. Yeah, no, there's no question that, you know, God's word is true and we must uh, correctly handle it and understand it. And he wants us to know and understand the whole counsel of God. Amen. Well, thank you so much, JB, for I know we did a lot. We, we summed up a lot in just an hour. But the book we're going to make available, What Lies Ahead, we've got that link in the podcast notes. And, uh, of course, you can check out JB's Spirit of the Antichrist series. Now, you're moving from YouTube to Rumble. Is that in process? Yeah, it's done. Yeah, everything okay. we ever have done or will do is always available at notbyworks.org. Videos, okay. podcasts, everything. Okay, thanks, JB Hickson. We'll uh, ta- tell you about this week's guest when we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Remember last week when I was trying to figure out uh, Tuesday, next Tuesday, who the guest, Elijah Abraham will be with us. Elijah Abraham will be our guest tomorrow. Can't wait to catch up with our brother from Texas. Um, for, for your newer listeners now that haven't heard Elijah, he was a former Muslim. He grew up in Iran, went through some horrific events there, and we're going to go back and talk about that. He's been on the, this podcast for so many years, we forget about his testimony is quite radical. And so we're going to talk about Elijah Abraham and his uh, faith journey, what he's doing now as a teacher of pastors in other countries and, of course, a witness to Muslims. Um, Wednesday, 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 Cal Beisner, I believe, or Dr. Rick Scarborough, one of the two. Um, Mike Gendron from Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries on Thursday. And I've got to wrap up because I'm already over time. But thank you guys so much. God bless you. And as always... Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.